Hi friends. Question one for this week is our journey with screen time and some specific questions. What were our limits before low demand? How did Michael handle it when I dropped the demand, when I dropped limits? Any evolution and any boundaries now? I'm excited and um, happy to tell you about our journey. When my kids were younger, their boundaries were that they could have 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes in the evening with their tablets. And then we did a, like a stretch of showtime in the afternoon where everybody sat together on the couch and they would commonly choose, they would each get to choose a show that would add up to about an hour in the afternoon. And as my oldest Owen headed off to kindergarten, then he was no longer a part of showtime. And so showtime shrunk down to just two shows where the, the remaining two would choose. And so that looks like, you know, like excellent boundaries and uh, great restraint and all of that. And my kids didn't struggle with it too much. There was not a huge source of um, meltdowns and challenges. But what I did notice was that they were very sneaky about their screen time. And so they would steal my phone and sneak off with it. Anytime the house was quiet, I knew that they had somehow gotten illicit technology that they weren't supposed to use and that they were using it on their own. And they were very secretive about how much they enjoyed it and um, what they were watching and very envious of other families and other kids who had what they perceived as more access. We didn't have any video game um, soft technology for shared play at that point uh, and so they thought that like a family that had a switch or a PlayStation was like the height. What I identified is that they were feeling shame. They were feeling shame about how much they loved screen time, how much they wanted it, and that the limits that we had in place were shaming them for wanting more and we were kind of setting up a hierarchy where there are certain kinds of play that we will allow and unfettered access to and that we will support and that there's other kinds of play that are not as good and so we need to limit it and we need to make sure that you know you don't get too much of it because something bad will happen that was the narrative that they were absorbing about screen time and even at that point their love for games and gaming um, and for for watching shows and videos for regulation. It was just, I didn't have that narrative then or that lens, but it was just so high. The satisfaction that they found, the enjoyment, the pleasure was just so high. And it was clearly one of their favorite times of the day. And I think that having that shame around their favorite, around their joy, around their, their delight was corrosive to, in our relationship. And I was beginning to recognize that already. When, when, we, when COVID happened, then our screen time went way up, mostly with like watching shows and movies together as a family, because we were all around all the time. But also our outdoor time went way up, just like everything went up because we were here together all the time and there was so much time to fill doing activities. And then my oldest, then Michael went into burnout. And that happened really suddenly. It was one particular day, uh, and I can tell the story of what happened, but um, I crossed his boundary around autonomy in a pretty significant way, and he crashed. 
And from that day forward, he couldn't do anything besides watch YouTube on his tablet for 12 hours a day. He already had a tablet. He had practices of watching YouTube. This was something that was fitting into boundaries, but he you know, refused to come out of his room, couldn't speak. Um, it was all he could do. And we were terrified and I was traumatized by the whole experience. But choosing to proactively drop those limits and to communicate, you can do this as much as you want to. This is good for you. I support it. I am with you in this choice. Um, I do believe that that was a really crucial piece of supporting him through his burnout and helping him move out of burnout more quickly. I was really careful and still am about messages that I send around screen time in front of other people, especially um, because there is so, so much negative stigma culturally. Um, and so when we're celebrating things or naming what we did today, I try to be really honest about the way that they're gaming or the successes they've had in their games or the number of hours they spent working on a particular task without shame, without thinking like, oh, I can't let anybody know that he spent four hours gaming on this particular challenge. No, that was four hard hours. This is his him being courageous and pushing through and achieving a goal and I wanna celebrate that wholeheartedly and I want my child to see my joy in his joy. Those were the ways that I <clears throat> focused on proactively dropping limits. The limit was already dropped because capacity was, that was all, all that he could do. But there was still a lot of internal work for me to do and I dropped it for the other two. Uh, I had already given my youngest Leo a good bit more screen time than and other kids would have had at that time because we'd had so many meltdowns. My child was heading downhill, but the burnout period hadn't started yet. And during his really aggressive meltdowns, he would always turn on to Leo. And so I would send him away with his iPad, um, which was a place of safety for him and a place of entertainment so that he could be distracted from what was going on or the fact that I wasn't with him for an hour sometimes that I needed to help Michael calm down. The evolution over time is that they've really grown into this freedom. At first, it was all they wanted to do. Um, Michael did it more out of a survival instinct. Um, the other two, whoa, this is finally unlimited and like they couldn't get enough. And a lot of playfulness around trying different things. We bought a platform, we bought a switch that we could all play together to bring some of the gaming out of their little silos and into a shared family experience. And I've particularly seen them gravitate in different directions as they pursue their own interests, that there's just so much to do on a tablet or on a screen. And they, they all have very different interests now, um, so much so that it is kind of difficult for us to do family screen-based activities, although we've found a few that we really like to do as a family. But the good thing about that is we have plenty of real life family activities that we like to do and it's kind of like it's their own special time it's their retreat and recharge time whereas our communal time is a lot more like in the real in the real realm and then do we have any boundaries today no we don't have any boundaries um we sometimes discuss in some of the games that my oldest likes to play, the, there are people with mics using a lot of curse words. He hates that. And so 
that's self-imposed boundary that he has that he'll always mute people that are using curse words he doesn't like to use them um he knows what they all are he's heard everything he, he just doesn't enjoy the experience of using or hearing those words um there's a couple of channels that my youngest has stumbled into that i just don't like the way they're talking to each other it's not like it's terrible it's just unpleasant for me to listen to and i feel like it's unpleasant and so for him i just say are you enjoying this are you really enjoying this and almost every time he and i have aligned he's said no i don't actually really like it a couple of times he's like i do really like it and then i try to understand why and what he likes about it i think that's all the questions except oh i did notice that you're already pressing into your adult needs that are leading you to put the boundaries in place and so if you're considering shifting and releasing those boundaries i would suggest doing a little bit of different personal work i would suggest asking what will my child learn or how could they grow by me dropping these limits that is a question that can enable you to shift your thinking you can ask um, what is it about these screen free times that is working for me and try to understand not just what the boundary is doing but what the what it's protecting to what, what that container enables, what that makes possible, so that you can find ways to incorporate that still into your day. If you end up dropping the container, that doesn't mean that you drop all structure for your day. You can structure your day without screen time boundaries being the structure for the day, potentially. And then the last thing I would say is that the low demand process is about dropping the demands that are particularly challenging for your child. It doesn't mean that dropping the screen time boundary altogether is going to be helpful necessarily. It could be that what is the harder demand for your child is the mental and physical effort it takes to transition from screens into another activity. And it might be that by having this structure in place where this now we do this, now we stop, and now we do this, it actually enables your child to show up for each of those things without having a whole bunch of executive dysfunction around trying to make those transitions. So keep in mind that there's not one way that low demand looks and that these markers of what the way I do low demand does not mean that that's the way you do low demand because it's about your child and your family and the particular challenges, what's too hard for you and what's too hard for him. And that's what you drop. I hope this is helpful and um, thank you for the insightful questions. Our second question is from a new member. Hi, Dane. I'm so glad you're here. Um, this is a question about a kiddo coming out of burnout and trying to determine what are the right priorities for this next phase. I wanted to say just a couple things about having priorities in the low demand life and how that plays together. I'm really excited you brought this up because I think it's an important topic. Um, you might think that you have to let go of any and all kinds of like long-term goals if you're going to be low demand because you can't have any expectations at all. And that's not the case. You actually want to know what your deep why is, what your what is your true motivation for this relationship with your child. And that that deep why is probably going to lead into some pictures of what thriving looks like for them out ahead of where you are right now, maybe a month from now, six months from now, and a year from now, that you can imagine them acquiring skills and growing and stretching in new directions. 
and having a picture of that actually gives you a lot of direction about what you want to prioritize and put your own adult energy into and what problems you want to solve together in the low demand way by dropping as many demands as possible until you get a solution that is doable for you and your child. Here Jane is asking about three potential new directions and the fact that you're coming out of burnout is really significant. Knowing the way that burnout operates and just how much resources are constrained and the incredible effort it takes for your child just to move through their day to self-regulate because of how um, out of whack their brain system has gotten. Knowing all of that, my top priority for you in deciding among these three is what is going to be most restorative for your child and for your relationship with your child. And the three were staying within the Roblox budget, going to occupational therapy, and going places other than home. Looking at this list, I would say that depending on your OT clinic and just how low demand they are and how kid-friendly they are and child-directed they are, that would might be the most capacity-increasing thing on your list, that if he's getting his sensory needs met there, if they are able to find that just right challenge zone where he's getting all of these dopamine rushes from conquering his fear or from like beating that time or conquering that obstacle course, whatever it is that they're working on there in OT, I've seen in our own kids work in OT just how powerful that brain balancing is that's happening in that space. I would say if it's a great OT clinic, then that is going to be the most rejuvenating for your child. And they may even be able to work on your relationship to your child Plus it accomplishes that third goal of seeing him go somewhere. The downsides are it's going somewhere at a particular time. So it, it will involve demands around time and timing. Um, and it has many more demands that are outside of your control. So working, that's why I would say if it's a low demand clinic or a really child led clinic, then that could be good low hanging fruit. If it's not, and you don't have control over that environment, then you probably wanna start with something that you can put that is right at your child's capacity. Um, you don't want it to be too far of a stretch because they don't have the resources to go there yet. And I would put this Roblox budget at the bottom of the list. I can see why it would be pressing because um, full disclosure, our kids Roblox together every day and I know just how expensive it can be and how pressing the urgency around solving it is. That said, it's a limiting thing. It's like brushing teeth or trying to stay dry throughout the night in a pull-up. When they're able to, they will. I think when he's able to live in his existing budget, he probably knows somewhat what a reasonable amount of money to spend is and knows that he's not in it. And when he can, he will. Um, but that may be a later down the road process for when your problem solving and collaborative skills and where his trust in your low demand approach post burnout is a little bit higher because all of you are asking what now are we going to go back to like our old old way are we going to go back to things before burnout what's going to come now and establishing that trusting 
mean, I'm not to say you all have a trusting relationship, so I, I'm not at all indicating that you don't, but that all of you in your family network are unsure what comes next and solidifying that trust is the most important thing that you can do right now. I wonder too if there's a way that you can have your child take the lead in determining what the next step is and where they would want to go. Is there a place that they say they want to go but that's kind of too tricky that you could problem solve how to get there and how to drop demands and are there times or places that they're that they're doing extra well and that you could bring up an opportunity to go somewhere it sounds like going together as a family or with friends is effective right now but going on his own is tricky are there are there little ways that you can detective skill around that to determine whether you think ot is a good fit or if there's some other place in the world that he would like to go and involving him in the process of determining that place could be um, actually your unclumped first skill is just where do you want to go what do you want to be doing and if you could go anywhere and it wasn't too hard where would you want to be going then again if you could go anywhere in our neighborhood where would you want to go or if you could go anywhere in our city um, you can always set the parameters to whatever is doable for your family our third question is about relating to other people maybe who aren't low demand or who were a part of an earlier version of your life. And this one is very personal and painful for many of us, myself included, um, just recognizing the way that relationships have not been able to withstand me stepping off of the traditional parenting path to speak from my example. Um, and perhaps that's been true for you, that it's harder for people to relate to you. You're getting more challenge, more critique, more pushback, more misunderstanding as your parenting looks less and less like the majority. Or as another person mentioned, it just gets more difficult to maintain relationships when you're feeling meltdowns left and right, when your child is not leaving the house or not able to be far from you. Um, or just when you're co-regulating with them all day and you're exhausted and your ability to show up for your friends is low and your needs for being met by them are high. I don't know about all of you, but in my old relationships, I was the main caretaker for many of my friends. And I did a lot of the emotional legwork of making listening hard and helping them. They would often joke that I was like their therapist and it wasn't that much of a joke. It, it was actually quite real. The energy, emotional energy I was pouring into our friendships was unbalanced. And as I took steps to rebalance that, and then eventually when my needs just were so high that I showed up, I, have, I, I need support from these relationships. What I'm facing in my parenting life is so difficult. I need you to show up for me. And those friends weren't able to do that. Not only was the relationship not able to rebalance, but it wasn't able to shift into me being on the receiving end of a lot of care. And so my, the people that I had considered my closest friends that I'd been friends with since college, um, just were not able to go on this life journey with me. And uh, the direction that I was heading in didn't align with them and their ability to show up for me was just really low. And I decided that I didn't want to have people in my life 
who weren't showing up for me and I think they decided the same, that they didn't want me in their life either. It was really painful. It's been a couple of years and so I'm able to look back on it and make sense of it. Um, and I can see all of the cracks that were there leading up to that point, but it was truly like a breakup in terms of um, this group of friends that were in daily touch with me and then kind of in a single decision, it ended. That said, um, it has, this low demand process has also really given me insight into my own needs and helped me be more honest about what I'm looking for out of a friendship and to show up more vulnerably in the relationships that I am making now and in the ones that have lasted through this process because it turns out that many of the people in my network have been able to show up for me and those some people that were acquaintances have turned into really close friends because of the way that they've flexed and moved and supported me and whether they would make the same decisions for their children or not, they honor my decisions and why I'm making them. So practically speaking, low demand means being proactive and planning ahead to drop demands in ways that still get your needs met. I still have needs for friendship time. And so when I'm looking at my calendar, one of the main things I'm looking at is when can I leave that won't be too much for my children and I can go and, and be with a friend and get my needs met. For me, that's um, number one on my calendar is solitude. Uh, that's what I'm always looking for planning in is solitude. And then number two is connection with a few key friends. And, um, when I have those two things on my calendar, plus time with my husband, my needs are met. It turns out I look back on my old way and I was friends with too many people. And so part of this process for me has been realizing that I don't want as much friendship as I had before. I'm not looking to replace those friends with new people. I'm looking to honor my effort and energy and only cultivate friendships that, that really bring me to life. I wish that for you too. For our last question, we have a lovely prompt about how low demand parenting is consistent with a biblical picture of, uh, of love and of servanthood. These are my own words I'm adding in. I was recently trolled um, in a lovely way by a Christian who was arguing that this picture of parenting that I'm putting forward in low demand is sinful and against the gospel. And that person in the, her comment quoted a Bible verse about love and basically arguing that our children are supposed to have this kind of love, this uh, patient, forgiving, understanding love that um, was in this scripture. And I thought it was such a potent example of the way that we use control over our children to uh, escape some of the more difficult and painful scriptures for us that actually I feel that that passage about love is gentle, love is kind, love is forgiving, love keeps no record of wrongs, that that is intended to be a, a view of God's love for us and to the degree that we are exemplars of God's love to our children then we are the ones who are supposed to show up as forgiving and kind and understanding. We don't expect our children 
to be able to do that until they've received it, which is kind of the central message of the whole gospel that to me, um, in my reading, which I always want to say it's not the only reading. Oh, pause. The central story of the Bible is that of a creator who decides to be a parent, who wants a relationship with the creation, with, with God's people, that is so vibrant and connected that the only metaphor that makes sense to describe this interconnected love is that of a parent and a child. And over and over again throughout the Old Testament, God declares that God will be as a parent, as a mother or a father to Israel, the people of God, and that the people of God, God's Israel, God's children, will be beloved, not just um, servants. And that being God's beloved is their central identity. And they turn away from that identity, they put other things in the place, and God over and over again reminds them and calls them back to who they really are. And it's in that love that they discover as we move into the New Testament that God has made a, an even further decision to take on the role of child, to be for us both the the father figure that we need and the brother to be, be to take on the role of child and to make this perfect unity of communion of connection between father and son between the creator and the creation in within God's own nature and so we can see what it looks like to be both be beloved and to be to be to be to see both the lover, the father loved, um, and to, to see the beloved done perfectly. And in that picture of perfect love and perfect belovedness, we see what ultimate connection and trust can look, look like. The, the submission of Jesus is one of a person who trusts completely in their in their parent to care for them all the way until into the darkest and most horrifying places and so when we put in low demand parenting when we put trust and connection at the center of the relationship it's not to say that that that's not also obedience it's to say that trust and connection are the centerpiece of obedience and obedience is the outward ability to show up in trusting love and so when we offer that to our children we say we're going to love you and create a relationship of trust first because we know that as you are able to show up in obedience you will unlike a traditional approach that says that obedience is the fullest expression of love and so the the best way a child can say i love you is to be obedient to you we say that trust and connection is the fullest expression of obedience and so to be in a trusting relationship is to be in the fullest nature of obedience and the other thing that I would say is that we see in Jesus's connection to people, this radical commitment to non-judgment. 
And um, I was just studying John 8, where there's this woman who's caught in adultery, the ultimate transgression for her and her people. And she is brought out and it's revealed and she is shamed and humiliated and brought to, to trial and justice all in this split second. And the people decide that she is guilty and that she deserves to be stoned to death. And it's kind of like what happens on the inside of us when we are ashamed and we believe that we are wrong and broken and essentially at our very most core that we are unlovable and that we deserve death, that we deserve ultimate separation from God. That is what shame says to us in, in, in trying to pull us away from God. And then Jesus interrupts that whole story and steps right into the middle and says to that woman, is there anyone here who can condemn you? And she says, no one. Because the truth is the only person who could condemn her is Jesus and he chooses not to. And he goes on to say, I am the light of the world, which is his way of saying that the light of the world is the one who interrupts the darkness of shame, that he comes at right at the heart of our conviction that we are unlovable and that we deserve death. And that is the place where he brings his non-judgment, his light. And he goes on to say that the father and I are one and we are intertwined. We are, it's impossible to separate us and that our essential nature is non-judgment. And uh, I think that that is a really crucial part of the gospel that has been lost. And yet when we practice it in low demand parenting, we find that when we are in non-judgment to our children, when we aren't holding up some perfect image of who they're supposed to be and then comparing them to it and finding them falling short and always helping them along this path toward the kid that we thought we were supposed to have, when we let all that go and accept them right where they are and allow them to be just who they are, that that is actually the, the freedom for us as parents, that it gives us the freedom of a non-judgmental love towards ourselves and towards the world. And that letting go of, of demands is actually a process of self-acceptance and acceptance of others. And that radical acceptance and radical non-judgment is really the hardest heart of this practice. And that is at its core who Jesus was in this world. If you even look all the way to the cross that his choice to die rather than separate himself from from God's intention for his life and his decision to submit to torture and to dying the worst most humiliating death possible is his own way of declaring that I don't judge you that no matter who you are you can be convicted and judged and found to be the worst possible human and you can be killed for it and you'll be still following in the path of Jesus. That nowhere, we can't go anywhere and be outside of his loving conviction with us. This is what my heart beats for. Don't talk about it super often. And for those of you for whom this has just been a long theology lesson that you weren't interested in, hopefully you skipped over it. And thank you for asking. All of these have been really great questions this week. Um, it's a joy to answer them and to get to spend this time with you in this way. Take care. Bye.